Well, it is good to see everybody this morning. I know we've got some guests who are here. And so if I didn't get a chance to meet you on your way in this morning, my name is Bill. And it is my privilege to serve as a lead pastor here at the table. We love it when new folks come and worship with us every week. And so we would love to connect with you. Um, and the easiest way to do that is to have you text the word welcome to that number on the screen, 833-276-5450. For those of you that are with us every week, you know that that is a new number. That's why I had to turn around and look at it. Uh, there's also a QR code. The number is on a sticker and a QR code so you can scan it. And what it's going to do is take you to a uh, digital connection card. Um, that you can fill out just some really basic information. We would just love to find out who you are and begin to build a relationship with you um, how we can, and find out how we can serve you, be an encouragement to you, all of those things. So we are excited that you are here. If you do have any questions um, about the church or about anything that you hear this morning, I will be available after the service and would love to, to chat with you for a few minutes. And so I'll be back at the uh, information table in that area, um, just straight out the doors. Uh, I'll hang out there and would, would love to, to introduce myself to you if I didn't get a chance to meet you earlier. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Hopefully everybody on your way in this morning, you got one of these cards. If you did not, we will get one to you after the service. Uh, stop by the information table and we will hand one to you. So this has been given for those of you that have it. This and It's going to make sense for those of you who were here last week. This has been given to you, but it is not for you. This is for you to give away to someone else um, and to, to invite to be a part of our services next week. We're really looking forward to that. It is going to be a great day. You know, Cody talked about baptisms. We may have as many right now as 12. We're waiting on some confirmations. Um, that's for next week. Uh, so we do have one this morning. I think we've got at least one, maybe two, the, the week following Easter. Um, and so incredible things are happening. And so I would say this too, if you've never been baptized and you're like, well, I didn't want to be the first one, but I'm willing to be the 13th one um, at this point, let us know. We'd love to, to have that conversation with you and, and have you participate in the um, baptisms next week. I was texting back and forth with somebody that's going to participate. And they said, so this means that your message is going to be like five minutes next week. And I just responded, ha ha, that's not funny. So we'll just have long services next week. That's really what we're going to do. Um, do I need to do anything else? I think that was it. Let me pray for us and we'll get into the message. Father, um, I, I pray that you would still our hearts over the next few minutes as we spend some time in your word. God, we're going to ask some honest questions today, and I pray that you would lead us to authentic answers. Um, that you would strengthen our faith. That you would meet us where we are. And give us comfort. Thanks for the promise that we're going to look at today. And may it bring us encouragement. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to talk about something a little bit challenging this morning. So just hang with me for a second. Because I wonder if you have ever felt like you've been hoodwinked by religion. Or sold a bill of goods by the church, where you thought faith meant something or it was going to give you something and it just didn't quite meet your expectations. I don't know if you really thought hard about faith in that way, but I guess for a few minutes this morning, I'm going to give you permission to doubt. And I do so for a reason. 
the reason being that I think when we ask hard questions about faith, it actually leads to a more grounded faith, and we are more confident in the faith that we have. And so my desire for all of us is not to leave in fear or doubting the things that we believe, but to leave with more confidence than we walked in this morning. The last six weeks, maybe eight weeks, has been the hardest time in ministry that I've ever experienced. Some folks in our church have faced incredible challenges, faith-shaking challenges. And as I was preparing for the message this morning, and I want you to know, like, I script everything, manuscript everything. This is not part of the manuscript. So I told Cody the message was going to be shorter. Now it might be longer. I'm not sure. And I think all of us on our staff have been asking some really hard questions about faith. And I want to take you through the journey that we have been on. And I want you to think about the things that we believe. You've probably heard some of these verses before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's from the book of Proverbs. One from Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In the New Testament. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. And contextually, it's about having your needs met, clothes to wear, food to eat. And I don't know if you were told this specifically. Maybe you were, maybe you weren't. But regardless, when we just read those verses, a surface-level idea of what those verses are teaching, we think if we follow Jesus, then life should work out okay. It may not always be easy, But if we just keep following, it'll be okay. If we trust God, he'll work everything out for us. If we just pray enough, God will give us the things that we desire. If we seek God's kingdom, he'll make sure that all of our needs are always met. So we think, as followers of Jesus, life is supposed to work itself out. And then life happens. People still get sick. Others lose their job. Young couples who desperately want to have children still struggle with infertility. People are taken from this life way too young. Others still experience anxiety and depression. And in the midst of the realities of life, as these things happen either to us or around us, we begin to wonder where these promises are. So I thought life was supposed to work itself out. Where is God in the midst of the pain? I believe, though, that every one of those verses is true. 
just may not be exactly true in the way that we thought they were would be on the front end. I've got another one for you to consider, Psalm 23. This psalm that is one that provides us so much comfort. It's one that I've read many times sitting in a hospital room with people. It's read at funerals. Listen to the words. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. And we stop there and we think, man, those things are great. And they are great. And that's where we want to stay, in the green pastures beside the still waters. And some people do for a really long time. But we've got to continue. Because verse 4 says, Even when I go through the the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even when I go through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I want you to understand what is being communicated there. It's not that we end up in a valley because we have done something wrong or we have made a wrong turn in life and God decided to stick with us in spite of the fact that we did something wrong. That's not at all what's being communicated. What's being communicated in that verse is the idea of sometimes life leads us into the valleys. It's not that we did something wrong or we took a wrong turn. But sometimes the circumstances of life lead us into the valley and God is still there. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you know where most people don't want to be? In the presence of enemies. Because that's where danger is. But God says, listen, you might be in the presence of enemies, but don't worry. Just sit down and eat. I'm going to take care of you. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Here's what I think David is saying. David is the author of that psalm, Israel's greatest king. I think he's saying there are times when life is great, and that is great. But then there are times that life is not so good, and that is not great. But even in the valleys... Even in the darkness, the goodness of God shines through because he never leaves us. And so all of those other verses that I talked about before, I believe 100% that they are true. That when we seek after God, we trust in him, he leads us to be exactly where he wants us to be. That doesn't mean that life is going to be easy, but it will be exactly where God wants us to be. And that's the best place that we could be. That when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he does give us the desires of our hearts. But you got to understand, when we find our joy in God, what is it that our hearts desire other than God himself? Will he not give us more of his presence? That yes, when we seek first the kingdom of God, he makes sure that our needs are met. But we have to understand by nature of being in America at the time that we are, we're like in the 95th percentile of the world's wealth of people who have ever lived. And so maybe our expectations of needs versus wants has to shift a little bit. I'm going to give you one more passage. This is actually where we were meant to be this morning. Because I want to take you back to the room where it happened. 
And think about the conversations that Jesus has had with his disciples as they gather together to celebrate the Passover. Because throughout the course of the dinner, basically Jesus had told the disciples that their world was getting ready to be turned upside down. They'd been following Jesus, and he was saying that he was going to leave, and they wouldn't be able to go where he was going. He said that one of them was going to betray him, that he was going to die. He said that Peter was going to deny knowing him. And so all of the things that the disciples had known over the better part of three years in following Jesus was getting ready to change. And then some of the last words that Jesus said to the disciples before they left the upper room was, My peace I leave with you. And if you didn't know the end of the story, you would think, okay, hey, it's going to work itself out. It may be bad for a little while, but soon there's going to be an end to the conflict because that's the way that we define peace. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that there wasn't an end to the conflict. Things were hard and they only got worse. And so then all of a sudden we ask the question, if Jesus said, I leave my peace with you, how can those things be true? And in the midst of the realities of life that we face, knowing the words of Jesus, we say, well, what happened to the peace that Jesus promised to give us? How is it that we can have peace in the midst of the pain? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So I want to read the text where Jesus said those words in John chapter 14, Verses 27 through 31. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. John 14, 27 through 31. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen as I read it. Or um, if you have the version, um, the Bible app on your phone, you can navigate your way to our live event down the bottom more. The next screen, about halfway down, there's events, and then you'll be able to find it quickly. John chapter 14, starting in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. You've heard me tell you I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. I love this, but he has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world will know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let's leave this place. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. If when Jesus said those words, he wasn't referring to the absence of conflict, the way that we typically think about peace, what was it that Jesus was describing? Likely the concept that Jesus was referring to was the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is a word that was used both as a greeting and as a way to say goodbye. But the Hebrew concept of shalom meant a centering or a grounding. It's it's an equilibrium in life. We can almost think of it as life the way that it was meant to be experienced. That was the peace that Jesus was leaving with his disciples. Shalom. Genesis chapter 1, we read the description of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered over the face of the deep. And so we get this picture that there is this stuff 
that needs order and purpose. And throughout the rest of Genesis chapter 1, that's exactly what God did. He began to create systems to bring order in the midst of this stuff. So we get to the end of Genesis chapter 1, at the end of the sixth day, and God looked at all that he created. Genesis 1.31, God looked at all that he created and said, it is very good. It was exactly the way that God had intended it to be. Everything was in order. We could say that the world was in perfect shalom. Genesis chapter 2, the seventh day, God rested from all of his labor because everything was made exactly the way that he intended to make it. But then sin entered the picture. And with sin came chaos. The world moved out of shalom. It lost its equilibrium. But in spite of our sin, God made a promise that one day everything would be made right one day, shalom would return again. It was the promise that a Savior, a Messiah would come and he would make everything right. In fact, we read these words in Colossians 1.20. Through him, it's referencing Jesus in Colossians. Through Jesus, he is reconciling everything to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross. It's Jesus, and only through Jesus that we can experience peace. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says specifically, He is our peace. He is the one who is at some point making, He's in the process now, and it will come to fruition at some point in the future. He is making everything right, returning the universe to the state of shalom again. So when Jesus said, I leave my peace with you, it's not necessarily the absence of conflict, but it is the, this idea that very soon everything will be made right. He said, my peace I leave with you. And the peace that I leave with you, it's not like the world gives. It's a highly significant statement. And this is one of those things where we could sit around in a small group and discuss, compare and contrast the peace that Jesus gives and the peace that the world gives and talk about that. But when Jesus said, I give peace not like the world gives, the disciples knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. They didn't have to guess because they were living in a time period known as Pax Romana or Roman peace. It was a time period that lasted from about 27 BC to 180 AD. Historians tell us that it is the time period in human history that experienced more peace than any other time period. This Pax Romana allowed so many developments in many, many different areas. A system of roads was created because of the peace that existed. There were advancements in athletics, in art, in architecture. But this peace, this Pax Romana, was a peace through strength. It was a, a peace that was secured through dominance. It was the strength of the sword that brought about peace. And so, yes, people lived in peace, but it was peace that came as a result of fear. And so when Jesus said, I give you peace not like the world gives, the disciples knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because it wasn't peace through power and dominance. It was peace through service and sacrifice. Just think about what the disciples had experienced in the upper room. 
As they walked in, Jesus took off his outer garment and got down on his knees and washed the feet of the disciples and said, just like I've done this to you, you need to do this for others. He said, later by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The peace that Jesus was bringing, it wasn't a peace that came with power, but service and sacrifice because the kingdom that Jesus was bringing into the world was so different than the other kingdoms of this earth. The peace that Jesus brought wasn't secured through the power of a sword, but it was secured through one man, an innocent man, willingly laying down his life for the sin of us all. That's the peace that Jesus brings. So if this peace that Jesus is referring to is not the absence of conflict, but it's this idea of equilibrium, bringing life back to the way that it was meant to be experienced, then what does this peace actually do for us? First, it gives us composure in the midst of trouble. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. I don't know if you've ever maybe visited an area in the aftermath of a hurricane, not like you just drive immediately down there or something, but maybe months later, even, or, or maybe you've seen, seen the news coverage and where the, the news coverage is, maybe in the front yard of a home that's just been destroyed by the wind, you see a palm tree. Or, or maybe there in the, the parking lot of a gas station whose roof has been ripped apart, there you see a palm tree standing tall and straight. The reason that that palm tree is there is not because it had been recently replanted, but palm trees have been designed by God to withstand the wind. See, palm trees aren't like other trees because they have this root system that when the wind begins to blow, the roots grab the soil so very tightly so they won't tumble over by their root system. And then the trunks of palm trees are different than other trees where other trees you cut them and then you can see the rings of the tree and see how old they are and those rings begin to dry out over time. Palm trees are different because they're meant to bend. In fact, in the midst of the storm, you may see a palm tree bending over almost uh, parallel to the ground at times. And if you saw it in the midst of the storm, you would think there's no way this tree is ever going to survive. But then when the wind ceases and the storm passes by, Palm tree stands strong and straight again. That's what the peace of God does in our lives. The winds may come, we may bend, but we will not break because of the peace that Jesus has given to us. Because of the hope that something better is coming. Think about the disciples. They were in the midst of conflict. Life wasn't going to get any better. It was only going to get worse. In fact, all of the disciples, except for John, the author of John's gospel, they lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus. John died in exile on the island of Patmos. The disciples bent, but they did not break. They were not moved because of the peace that Jesus gave to them. In the midst of the realities of life that we face, we may not understand why people close to us get sick. 
We may never understand why a young couple who wants to have children struggles with infertility. We may not understand why people experience anxiety and depression. But in the midst of the storms of life, we may bend, but because of the peace of Jesus, we will not break. We will not be moved. It gives us a sense of calm in the midst of the chaos that we experience in life. Second thing that peace does for us is that it dissolves fear and guards us against anxiety. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the context of Philippians 4, it's actually talking about prayer. So when we get weighed down with the burdens of life, when the the storms are raging around us, we know that we have an advocate in God and can present our request to him knowing that he cares about us and takes the burdens that we face. And as we begin to pray about these issues, that's the peace that doesn't make any sense. It keeps us from fear and anxiety knowing that God is in control of everything. And our fear just melts away. It's also the peace that God gives to us that rules in our hearts, resulting in harmony. Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because you were called to one body. It's the peace of God that allows other people to come close. That in the midst of the struggles that we're going through, the, the, the fears that we have, we don't have to isolate ourselves from those things because we recognize, okay, if God's got me, God's got you, then God's got us. Because we weren't ever meant to experience these things alone. We need one another to encourage one another. And it's the peace that rules in our hearts that allows people to come in close to encourage us the way that we need that encouragement. Jesus said, I leave you my peace. It's not like the world gives. It's different. But it keeps you grounded in the midst of the storm. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're in one of those places where you've been wondering, God, where are you? In the midst of the wind, in the storm, remember the peace. Because of the peace that Jesus has left to us, we may bend, but we will not break. In the midst of the storm, we will not be moved. Because one day, something better is coming. One day, Jesus will return and make everything right. And in that day, we will stand tall and straight. Because of Jesus, who rescued us from our sin and has given us eternal life. I'm going to have Cody come back, and he's going to begin to play through this last song a little bit. But I want us, as he begins to do that before we sing the last song, to just maybe think and pray. Maybe you're going through that storm. If it's not you, you know somebody who is. And so silently in our seats for just a couple of minutes, I want us to pray for the circumstances that we face or the circumstances that we know someone else is facing.
and specifically pray that the peace of God would rule in all of our hearts so that in the midst of the storm, we are not moved. So I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're not if you're new to church, not familiar with prayer, prayer is just talking to God, so there's not really a way to mess this up. But in this silence there in your seats, I just want you to, to pray and ask God for that peace. And then I'll close this in prayer here in just a minute.